Hi, Victory family. How are you doing? Uh, Marcus Anderson here. I'm excited, excited, excited to be with you all on today. Um, and on today, man, we get the opportunity to, uh, to be able to open up God's word and be able to, to talk about what God is doing. But before that, man, before that, I want to um, invite us into a moment where we can just praise God. Um, scripture tells us to enter into his courts with thanksgiving, come into his gates with praise. And so in this moment, wherever you are, you may be at home around your dinner table. You may be streaming this on your television. You may also be on a jog or something like that. I just want you to be able to take a moment to stop and, and, and let's praise God for who he is. God is amazing. God is great. God God is wonderful. God, you are awesome. Um, even in the chat right now, you can go ahead and put heart emojis or go ahead and put, you know, the hand clap or prayer emoji or whatever it may be to express our worship on to God on today. God, we are grateful and we are thankful for you. Um, and family, I'm excited. I'm excited to be here with you all on today. Um, today, man, we get the opportunity um, to finish up our series. And so we're uh, in a series called VIP. And VIP stands for victory is a process. I mean, a proclamation. Victory is a process and victory is a people. And family, I'm excited to end this series because our series have been, has been building until this point. Like today, this is the time where everything that we've talked about prayerfully will wrap up together in a nice big old bow. So if you will, turn with me on today to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, we've been, we spent our whole series in Ephesians. We've been going from Ephesians uh, uh, 2 verses 11 through 15 and then last week we talked about verses 16 through 18 and now we're going to end um, on verses uh, 19 through 22. So Ephesians 2, go ahead and flip your Bible there and just put your thumb there or scroll there and, and just hold it right there um, as we open up with God's word. As we said, we've been in a series called VIP. A couple of weeks ago, we started our series with victory is a proclamation or a public announcement that Jesus has created peace with God, has created peace within humanity and peaceful and a peaceful government through the cross and his sacrifice. Last week, we continued our series with victory is a process that Jesus died to make us one and our job is to remain one. Um, we get to submit to the process of oneness by putting on Christ, um, by pushing past our divisions, and by protecting the promise of becoming one. We talked about how what God has put together, let no man tear asunder. And, and on today, we get to finish our series by talking about how victory is, is a people. Victory is a people. Today, if you will, is a climax. It's the deus ex machina of our series. Victory is a people. Family, I am convinced that God is building a people for himself, that God's ultimate desire is to build a people. 
He wants to dwell with and live among his people. Um, scripture has, has, has talked about this. Uh, we see uh, a God starting to build his people with the creation of man in Genesis. Um, God created man. Uh, God did not need man, but God wanted man and created us and made us to worship him. And in divine creativity, God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit come together and and mold on earth's canvas humanity, man, and then he creates woman from the man and, and, and named them Adam and Eve. And on the seventh day, God rested with his people and it was very good. But something cataclysmic and catastrophic happened in Genesis 3. We see that humanity rebels against God and the peace between creator and creation has been broken and sin enters and corrupts and distorts the way that God created the world to operate. Humanity is now simply separated from God and God tries to rebuild his connection and rebuild his people with Noah, but it doesn't last long and humanity continues to drift from God. God tries again with the childless Abraham, with the childless Abram, and he changes his name to Abraham and makes him into a father of many. And God blesses him and makes a decision to build his people through Abraham. The promises of God are passed down through Abraham's lineage, through Abraham, then Isaac and Jacob, and to all the Jewish people. God now has his people. The Jews were to be a beacon unto the world. The Jewish nation, Israel, was to be an example to all the nations that God lives among his people. And God wanted to reach the nations through them. But the problem is that sin still continued to separate us from God and humanity was still at drift from God, including the people of God. This is the problem. But then one day, the drifting stops. Jesus, the second person in the Trinity, steps out of eternity and into humanity, and God becomes a man in Jesus Christ. Jesus lives the perfect life that we should have lived. Jesus dies the death that we deserve to die in our place for our sin. And three days later, Jesus resurrects from the grave, conquering sin, death, and hell itself. Jesus bridges the gap between God and man. He stops our drifting because, because of Jesus, creation can now come back to its creator. God can now be with his people. This is the tension that we walk into on the text on today, that God is desiring to build a people for himself, building a people who bear his name, possess his presence, and worship him. Let's read the scripture on today. Ephesians 2 verses 19 through 22 says it this way. It says, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners, but, but you are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. 
We are certainly joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made a part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Verse 21 says it this way for a point of emphasis. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Let's pray. Father God, on today, we are grateful. We are thankful for who you are. God, we are thankful that on today, that you are not a God limited by borders, that you are able to reach and touch each and every one of us exactly where we are. So God, on today, we press into your presence. God, on today, we press into who you are. God, on today, we say thankful. We are thankful and we are grateful that Jesus bridged our gap that Jesus uh, took a broken humanity and connected us back to our Savior. And on today, we pray that as we end this series, that this would be a, a, a prophetic moment, that this would be a moment where we can see that, you are, uh, that we are aligning with heaven and that we are aligning with all eternity and that you desire to build a people and victory church of Charlottesville. So God, on today, I pray that you would meet your people God, I, I'm not, I'm not uh, 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 um, um, disillusioned to know that there are people on today um, who are watching this or will watch this that are desiring for a touch from you. And God, I pray that your hand would be extended unto them on today. God, we are thankful. We are grateful. And God, open up your word and allow us to see your majesty. It's in Jesus' name that we pray on today. Amen, amen, and amen family. On today, we get to talk about how victory is a people. And we're in the text of Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22. And there are a couple things that we see. Let's go to verse 19. Verse 19 says, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. The apostle Paul, the writer of the book of Ephesians, is writing to the church in Ephesus and, and, he, and he wants to assure them of their adoption into God's family. And he does this by using a political metaphor here. He uses a metaphor that the Ephesians would understand. He calls, he says, strangers foreigners and citizens. So what does this mean to be a stranger to the Ephesians meant that you were an outcast, that you had no rights or privileges within the city. This means you were vulnerable and that anything could happen to you at any moment because you had no rights, you had no privileges and, and, and you are not a part of the city. You were a stranger. And then the next thing that he says is foreigner. Um, it, 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 that's the word in the NLT translation, but in the ESV translation, it says uh, alien. To be a foreigner or an alien means that you were a non-citizen, but you were known in the city and that you had some rights and some privileges, some rights and some privileges. So people would say, man, you look kind of familiar, so I'm not going to do anything to you because you might be connected to someone. And then he says the third one, we have 
have stranger, we have foreigner, but then we have citizen. To be a citizen means you had full protection and full rights under the law in the city. This means that you were a protected individual. This means that people knew who you were and they didn't want to do anything. They didn't want to touch you because of who you were connected to. So what does this mean? Paul is saying to the church in Ephesians, or to the church of Ephesus, that you are a citizen in God's nation. But then he takes it a step further. He says, you are not just a citizen, but you are a member of God's family. You have moved from creation to child. Oh, this is a beautiful thing in our text that, that through Jesus, God has moved the believer from being a creation of God to being a child of God. I like to use this analogy that, that my daughter Eliana has certain rights and privileges because she has my last name. Yes, I love people. Yes, I care for people, but it's something different when Eliana Lee Anderson shows up on the scene. She can ask something a minute, and the minute she asks, I want to move because she has my last name. This is what happens in the text. This is what happens to, uh, to the believer that, that when we cry out to God that we are not just a creation, but we are a child, and we're a member of God's family. Jew, Gentile, all believers are part of God's family. We are equal members in God's household. The text has been building until this point. Verse 14 talks about it. Verse 15 talks about it. Verse 16 talks about it. Verse 18 talks about it in Ephesians 2, that we are now one family. Victory is a people, meaning that victory is one family, one spiritual family in Christ Jesus. This means we are not distant relatives, but we are brothers and sisters. This means that we share the same blood and the blood that we share is Jesus's blood that was shed on the Calvary for us. We are brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. If that feels good to you, go ahead and put a hand clap emoji uh, in the chat. Go ahead and put a fire emoji, put, a, put, put something in there to show that you're tracking with me in the chat family. Victory is a people, meaning that victory is one spiritual family. The next thing that we see in the text is that um, victory is not just a family, but victory is one house. Let's go down to verse 20. Verse 20 says, together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. I love Paul and the way that he writes. Paul is a prolific writer and a prolific uh, uh, orator as well. And, and what he writes here, he takes the metaphor and he departs from the political metaphor in verse 19, but he takes it a little bit deeper, deeper and uses a, a physical metaphor, uh, almost a word picture, so to speak, so that the, the, the church of Ephesus can understand what he's saying. What Paul is saying here is that believers, those who follow Christ Jesus, those who are Christians, so to speak, um, they are not just members of God's household, but they are the house that God holds. Ah, oh, this is good. This is good. This is so good. Paul, the 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 the, the one of the, uh, the 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 um the forerunners of the New Testament. Um, he wrote thirteen books in the Bible, and, and, and he said he makes a profound statement here. He says, you are not just members in God's household, but you are a, you, but you are the house that God holds. This would be confusing a little bit. So, so let's dive a little bit deeper. 
what Paul, uh, First Peter, uh, um, um, who I personally love, um, uh, uh, says it this way. First Peter, uh, verse two uh, and five says he he is uh, uh, tells us that believers are living stones that God uses to build a spiritual house. So so what does this mean? What is Paul saying? What is Peter saying? What is being communicated here is that God's house, the Big C Church. Is not made of brick and mortar, but God's house is made of people. Ah, yes. Yes, this is good right here. That God's house is not made of brick and mortar, but God's house is made of people. God's house is a people who meet in buildings, who meet in courtyards, or who meet online. Ah, God's house is his people. That means God dwells in his people. God is with his people. This means for the believer that you are now a part. You are now a part. You are now a part of God's house, that you are God's house, that we are containers of God's presence, both individually and collectively. This is a beautiful thing that we see in the scripture. We'll dive a little bit deeper into it. So we'll put a pen right there. What Paul is saying to us in the text, he continues his metaphor and he says that this house is built on the foundational work of the prophets and the apostles from the New Testament to John the Baptist with the sole purpose of revealing Christ Jesus, the cornerstone. This begs the question, what is a cornerstone? A cornerstone is the critical stone ensuring a building's foundation is stable and secure. Jesus is the cornerstone. This means that everything in God's house is about Jesus. <laughs> that Jesus just didn't show up in the New Testament. Jesus ain't just get here, but he been here. John 1 says that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And in, in verse 14, he says that, that then the word became flesh. Jesus just did not get here, but Jesus has been here. Jesus is the cornerstone. Everything in God's house revolves around Jesus. One commentator says it this way. He says, Jesus is not only the origin, the foundation, and the support of the church, but he gives the church its shape and form. This is good here, family. Um, um, I'm gonna give you a little bit of apologetics so that you know what we're stepping into. Did you know that there are 351 Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiah and Jesus fulfilled every single one of them? History is his story, Jesus's story. There are numerous historical documents from non-Christian sources testifying about Jesus and his resurrection from the dead. Gary Habermas, who's a, who, who was a professor um, at uh, at Liberty University, um, 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 in his graduate thesis, he writes about these and there are 98 different proofs that he has compiled testifying that Jesus surely was resurrected from the grave. So not only do we have Christian sources, these are the, 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 the Bible and um, the canonized work and, and, and these are not only um, the, 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 uh, first the first century church, um, but, but there are also history is 
his story. And there are, are historians who are accurately telling that this man, Jesus, got out of the grave. Because Jesus resurrected from the grave, this means that he is not a liar or a lunatic, but he's a different L. He's Lord. Jesus is Lord. There's another implication that we see in the text. I'm going to take a sip of water. There's another implication that we see in the text. One house means one spiritual heritage. One house means one foundation. For the believer, if you are a believer watching this, this means Jesus is our cornerstone as well. This means that we must orient and align ourselves to Jesus. What am I saying here, family? This means that our spiritual heritage must inform our cultural heritage. We cannot afford to put our culture above our Christ. I'll say this again. We cannot afford to put our culture above our Christ. Christ must sit above our culture. Christ must sit above our history. Christ must sit above this world, our world. And we must, the believer must keep him there. You cannot, as a believer, you cannot afford your cultural heritage to sit above your Christ, your Jesus. He is our cornerstone. So what does this mean? For me, this means that I'm a Christian first, a husband second, a father third, a pastor fourth, and a black man last. As a believer, you are part of God's house. You have one spiritual heritage, put Christ above your culture. This is victory, family, that we are one family and one house with one spiritual heritage. Jesus is our cornerstone. The last thing that we see in the text is verse 21 and 22. And they say, we are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made a part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Finishing the metaphor, the physical metaphor, Paul says that believers are not just a house, but we are a temple. The text tells us that by the power of the Holy Spirit, God is carefully and meticulously joining believers together to be a temple or a dwelling place for God himself. Let me pause right here. I was This is in my notes, but I want to say this, that if God has joined you to a spiritual family, be careful not to separate when times get difficult. But there's beauty and blessing as we share each other's burdens. So if God has brought you to this house of victory, stay in the house, regardless of who your pastor is, stay together, protect the promise, preserve unity, because God is 
carefully and meticulously joining people together to build his house, to build his temple. And I believe victory is just a small part of that house. The word temple here holds so much significance, especially for the Hebrew people. When, when the Jewish people heard this, their ears might have perked up a little bit because the temple holds so much significance. Why, why, does, why does the temple hold so much significance? Because the temple is where the presence of God dwells. The temple is where God lives. At the temple, God meets his people in worship. At the temple, heaven touches earth. At the temple, people are set free. At the temple, sin is forgiven. At the temple, healing happens. At the temple, mountains move. At the temple, chains are broken. At the temple, demons flee. At the temple, earth moves to the beat of where the temple is. God dwells at the temple. The text is saying here that God is no longer confined to a box. God is not confined to a tent. God is not confined to his temple, but now God dwells and lives in the heart of his people. Believers, we are God's temple and God lives in us individually and corporately. That's a good place to praise God. Because we are God's temple. We don't get to do with our temple what we want to. But Jesus is Lord and he is carefully and meticulously putting us together. So he is our cornerstone and we orient our lives unto him. Second Corinthians 6 and 16 says the temple, uh, that we are the temple of the living God and God now dwells among us. Catch the story here, family. Press into the tension. Humanity was once drifting away from God and from the presence of God. But now because of Jesus, humanity is the place where God's presence dwells. Believers, we are carriers of God's presence. This is why we don't worship or have to worship in Jerusalem today because God has made a new temple and it's in the heart of his people. It's in the heart of the believer. What does this mean? You might be hearing this in might say, what does this mean? Um, and why is this significant? Especially if you're somebody who, 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 who is not a believer. This is significant because we carry the presence of God and the job for the believer is to carry the presence of God wherever we go. We become carriers of his presence. What does this mean? This means that when people get around us, get around a believer, they should get a taste of what heaven looks like. They should get a little glimpse of God. 
that they should be able to say, mm, I'm around you. Why do I feel so much peace? I'm around you. Why is there so much grace? I'm around you. Why is there joy? I'm around you and, and joy is emanating off you. I'm around you and I feel blessed. I'm around you and I feel favor. I'm around you and there's something different about you. And you can say, baby, it's not me, but I know a man named Jesus who is dwelling inside of me. It's not me that you see, but it's him emanating from me. Second Corinthians 5, 20 in the new and the new living translation says, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. In the ESV, it says, or be reconciled unto God. Um, a great man by the name of uh, uh, Bishop Brett Fuller, I heard um, him, him say this one time and it just stuck with me. He says, whenever you go to, a, to an embassy and you meet an ambassador, the moment you step on that ground, that ground is no longer the place from where you once came. So if you go, if we, if we go to D.C. and we go to um, uh, the different consulates and the different embassies and, and the moment you step off of the pavement onto the French consulate, you are now in the territory of France. And if you get the opportunity to walk through the doors of the French consulate, it almost smells like France. And so what he's saying here and what he was saying as he as, as he exposited this text, he's saying that as a believer, you're supposed to carry the aroma of heaven and the church, God's people who meet in buildings are to be an embassy. And at the moment that people walk through our doors, both physically or metaphorically, they should feel heaven. They should feel God's presence. They should feel the aroma of heaven wafting from us. This is the job of the believer. What am I saying here? Victory Church, carry the presence of God unto every corner of Charlottesville, Virginia. Charlottesville should get glimpses of heaven as they encounter the people of victory. Let us become a beacon of God's glory unto this city. This is victory. Victory is a people. One family, one house, one dwelling for the presence of God. As we close in this moment, family, I want you to see in this sermon that from the beginning of time, God's desire has been to dwell or to live among his people. And Jesus makes this possible. He bridges creator to creation. He bridges humanity to God. But in this life, in this life, we only get glimpses and moments with God. But one day, one day we will experience God in his fullness. Revelation 21 verse 3 tells us that we will behold the glory. Come on, family. We will behold the majesty. Come on, family. We will behold the beauty of God in his fullness. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. We get to experience God as he fulfills his desire and dwells among his 
people for all eternity that right now we see through a mirror dimly, but eventually in God, at the end of time, God in the new heaven and the new earth, he will dwell with his people. That's a great place to praise God. That is a great place to clap your hands. That God eventually, and we live from this eternal hope that we will see you in your fullness. That we won't experience a moment with you, but we will experience eternity with you. Come on, family, praise God. As we close, Victory Church, I charge you to carry the presence of God to all of Charlottesville. Victory Church, I charge you to preach the proclamation of peace, submit to the process of becoming one and join as one people under the power of the Holy Spirit. This is Victory Church, a proclamation, a process, and a people. This is Victory Church, a proclamation, a process, and a people. Family, at this time, um, we're, 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 uh, uh, the time is far spent. We're swiftly approaching our ending. But um, at this time, what we're going to do is, is that we're going to take a little bit of a departure that we're not going um, to, there won't be a formal altar call. But what will happen is that me and my wife, we want to take time to pray for victory. We want to pray for Victory Church. We want to pray for what God is doing. We want to pray for the, the, the seeds um, that God has deposited into this house, but also the seeds that God is depositing into this house. So if you will, take some time to pray with me. If you will, my daughter Eliana is here. We got Eliana and Manuel, they both popping up. We want to take some time to pray for victory. Let's humble our hearts in prayer. Eternal God, our Savior. God, you are amazing. God, you are majestic. God, you are awesome. God, you are great. God, there's no one like you. God, there's no one beside you. And God, at this moment, we come praising and adoring your holy name. God, on today, we say and we confess anything that we may have done, said, or thought that goes against your will, your word, your worship, or your way. And God, we thank you for Jesus who died on the cross to bridge the gap between us and you so that now creation can get to creator. And God, we're grateful and we're thankful. And God, on today, we pray for Victory Church that this has been a season of transition and a season of testing and a season of, of turbulent seas. And God, we pray that Victory will be reminded that you are their anchor, that you are the cornerstone. And God, I pray that victory would align and orient itself unto you. 
God, we pray that this would be in the Isaiah 6 moment, that in the year King Isaiah died, I, the prophet Isaiah saw God in the throne of his temple, the throne of his robe filled the temple. And God, we pray that what you started in victory would start as a trickle with this group and it would turn into a flood that will flood the city of Charlottesville, that will flood Albemarle County, that will flood the region and flood the state and eventually our country. God, we pray for victory, that they would be submitted to the process, that they would preach the proclamation of peace and in that they would become one people Father, we believe in the truth of your word from Ephesians 2.10 that says that we are your masterpiece created anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things you planned for us long ago. We believe you created us to do good things in this life, in this world, in this country, in this state, and in this city. We believe in Philippians 1.6 that says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry to completion into the day of Christ Jesus. We believe that the good work you began, you will carry out. Help us to partner with you to see your will done in our lives and in this community. Although the work may not be easy at times, you have called it good. So God, let us lean into what you've already started keeping in step with the Holy Spirit to see your will be done in heaven and on earth. Let us pray the prayers of your heart. Yes. Hope for the dreams you have placed inside of us and live the life you created us to do. Let us do the good things you plan. Yes. We believe we can only do these things according to your power that is at work within us. Yes. Nothing is impossible yes. with you, Lord. Yes. So we give you all glory, honor, and praise because you are worthy of it. We pray these things in your mighty, matchless name of the most high King, Jesus, amen. Family, if you believe that, amen. I dare you to amen. celebrate with your yeah, family yeah, or your yeah, friends, yeah. your fur babies, whoever is around you or if you're by yourself, you can yell to the top yeah, of your yeah, lungs yeah, yeah, and yeah. praise God for what he's doing yeah. in this church and in this community. Yeah, amen, 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 family, we love you. It's been great being with you.